0: Welcome, everyone, to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, and today's episode is presented by Subway, who now deliver so you can get back to the game. Or, in my case today, they bring you the food so that you can record the week one podcast. Super exciting. Big thanks to Subway for that. And that's the plan today. We're going to go over the most important questions facing fantasy managers as we head into week one. And I got to be honest, I am absolutely spoiled. Subway provided the food, and I also have another great guest joining me this week. It's Jeff Radcliffe of Pro Football Focus. We had him on last season. He absolutely crushed it. We're excited to have him back. You should be following him on Twitter already. If you're not, he's at Jeff Radcliffe. Jeff, appreciate you carving some time out for us, dude.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hard to believe we're, (laughs) we're back around again, but football season is here.
0: And the biggest news this week is where we have to start. It actually came down very early this morning after keeping fantasy owners in limbo pretty much the entire month of August here. Ezekiel Elliott signs a new deal. He's back with the team for fantasy. We really don't need to debate the contract. Is it too much to pay a running back? All that sort of stuff, because that really doesn't matter. What fantasy managers need to know is how to approach Zeke in what's a pretty juicy week one matchup against the Giants. Now, reports came out after he signed that the plan is to give him 20 to 25 reps on Sunday, which if we assume reps means snaps, and I think we have to, that's a pretty low number. It might make sense. It might be a smart thing to do, but I wouldn't be shocked if he gets out there, if he's in shape and there's no issues, he's feeling good. A bigger workload is probably going to come for him this week. What's your take, Jeff, on Zeke for Week One?
1: Well, I hope he's in shape with all that time down there in Cabo. But (laughs) honestly, even if it's twenty to twenty-five like reps, I love that they use the word reps. I know if it's twenty to twenty-five snaps, let's put it that way. He could still touch the ball eighteen times. Like Zeke could be out there for twenty-three snaps and legit get like fifteen carries and three catches. Like I'm not worried about it. I think it's it's an interesting just maybe subplot a little bit, but if you drafted Ezekiel Elliott, you're not even thinking twice about this. You mentioned this matchup, this, you know, this early stretch for the Cowboys you have to like a lot just in general, but this matchup is so good. The only situation where you would bench him is if you had some combination of Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, and Christian McCaffrey, which I don't think you have any problems anyway <laughs> at that point, but those are the only three guys who I have ranked ahead of him right now.
0: Yeah, and I put my, my first rankings out uh, yesterday, so before he signed, but I had him right up there in the top five. I, I think you have to, and like you said, even if he doesn't get a ton of touches, he could get goal line work, he could score touchdowns, there's just no way, after going through all of this, there's absolutely no way that you can have him on your bench in week one, and even Tony Pollard owners, I think, have to agree that it's better for the NFL it is better for fantasy that Zeke is going to be on the field, so we are glad to have him back.
1: You know, it's also better for the team, by the way, because Ezekiel Elliott is a much better pass blocker than T- Tony Pollard. You know, we often see that with these rookies coming into the NFL. They struggle in that area, whereas Zeke is, is pretty solid. Even going back to his college days, he was underrated in that part of his game. So this is just a big boost for the entire offense.
0: So Zeke stole all the headlines, but he's not the only NFC East back that has a little bit of intrigue around him heading into week one here. Darius Geis is kind of interesting. I know a lot of people are getting excited about him. He showed well in that preseason performance. I'm absolutely not a medical professional here. That's why we bring on Virginia Zakis inside injuries or Dr. Jesse Morris from fantasy doctors. But He looked pretty healthy to me after all the injuries and all the surgeries to start his career. He looked pretty healthy in that preseason game. The bigger concern in my mind right now is volume, but you have Jay Gruden come out, said this week that the offense carries wise will pretty much run through Geis. It's just one quote. Definitely doesn't calm all my fears about Geis' fantasy outlook here. How about you, Jeff? Are you willing to put Geis into your fantasy lineup in week one?
1: I don't think I am in week one, but there's also the other the, the other factor here that Trent Williams won't be on the field, and that that does hurt this offensive line. This is a a decent offensive line with him on the field, uh, with him off the field, it's not the same scenario. And let's be clear: last year we saw Adrian Peterson at you know at his advanced age, which he's still several years younger than me, at his advanced age, put up that you know 250 carries, a quiet thousand plus yard season. Geis has more burst, more explosion at this point in his career than what Peterson has at this point in his career. So if we can get that sort of volume out of Geis this season, this is a guy who people were literally running away from in fantasy drafts. He falls all the way in 12 team leagues to basically an ADP in the seventh round. And I think we're gonna get to a point When we get in January, we're going to look back and we're going to say, how did we let that happen? That being said, week one is still kind of the preseason. Even though it's officially the regular season, there's a lot of sloppy football and a lot of things that are still being tried out, so I wouldn't get too carried away here. Chances are you drafted Geis as your third or fourth running back, so you may not even need him. But I I have him outside of the top 30 right now. I don't want to use him in week one.
0: I agree with you. I mean, in the pros versus Joe's draft that I was in, the, the FFPC, I couldn't believe it. He felt like the 10th round and I'm to blame too. I passed on him every single time in favor of other guys. It was sort of how I built my roster because I went running back early, but I am still worried about Peterson and Thompson siphoning enough touches away from him to limit his upside and just this offense as a whole, just being an offense that I don't know that I really want to invest that much in. So for me, I'm there with you that in week one, probably not going to put him in the lineup. But I'm a, I would be a little more excited now to have him on my roster. I will say that much, and I don't have him anywhere. So so perhaps it's going to look a little foolish on me. He has a tough matchup this week, and that's another thing, right? Going against the Eagles, there's a few difficult matchups out there this week. Bumped a few players down in my rankings because of it. I know it's early so we don't necessarily know exactly which matchups will be the hardest it tends to take a couple weeks before we can figure that out for sure but are there any matchups that have you fading stars in week one
1: well I don't really believe in fading stars per se in week one be, you know because a lot of times we're basing this information on what happened last year like my number one recommendation with strength the schedule is don't use it you know if you're using <laughs> in week one you're you're literally all you have is is you can tell what happened last year. Like you can't tell what's gonna happen in week one and there are defenses every year who look good last year and then they they regress uh, this year or they weren't that good last year and then all of a sudden they're one of the tougher units this year, you know, a lot of movement happens on the defensive side of the ball. One thing I can say though, with some confidence, is that the Bears defense is still gonna be pretty darn good. And so when you look at somebody like Aaron Jones, who I really do like this year, uh, it's a tough matchup. Like there's no denying that to start the season to start the entire NFL season off. he he gets that rough matchup. A wide receiver, there's a couple ones. and And I guess maybe i I, you know, sort of go back a little bit on what I say because that's the one area where I am a little bit more confident in looking at matchups because we can look on a more microscopic level at coverage. So, for example, Juju Smith Schuster has a tough matchup. Any which way you slice it, some people are saying that Stefan Gilmore is going to shadow him. Now, based on my studies from last year, Gilmore didn't stu- uh, didn't shadow Juju. He was stu- shadowing Antonio Brown and it was JC Jackson on Juju. Now, the question, though, is when they go to three wide, how often is Juju in the slot? Because I think that ultimately will dictate what the Patriots do in terms of shadow coverage. But regardless, any way you slice it, that secondary is really good. So Juju has a tough matchup. That being said, if you drafted Juju in the second round, you're not not fading him this week. There's just no reason to do that. So I typically, if they're stars, I'm going to roll with them in weeks one and two, regardless of the matchup.
0: There is one matchup, though, that I'm a little worried about, and that's the Falcons offense going on the road against the Vikings. And like you said about the Bears, I think I can say pretty confidently, I think that Vikings defense is still going to be a pretty solid unit. You have Devonta Freeman going against that tough run D. Same goes for Matt Ryan. He struggled against the Vikings in recent meetings, uh, only threw one touchdown over his last two games against them, so... Those guys, I'm a little lower on. I mean, it's easier when you're talking about fading a quarterback just because there's so many options out there. You could potentially go to the waiver wire and grab somebody that has a a better matchup there, but probably not looking to play Ryan this week. Freeman would probably still sneak in your lineup depending the other options you have uh, on your roster there. But I agree with you. Someone like Tyree Kill, who's going against Jalen Ramsey and they're saying that Ramsey is going to shadow him. You're still going to play Tyree Kill. There's just no way that you're going to put him on your bench. Speaking of the Chiefs there too, Damian Williams, I mean, going against that Jags-Rundy, that's also a pretty tough matchup. He's got to contend with them. He also has to contend with the arrival of LaShawn McCoy. And I'm still not sleeping on Darwin Thompson. I know that everyone's kind of jumping off the bandwagon. Well, now he's third in that backfield. He might be the best back in KC right now. That's still possible, even though he's third in the depth chart. And We've seen a bunch of other running backs, especially rookies, start the year third in the depth chart and quickly make their way up whether it's alvin kamara or nick chubb uh, the list goes on and on there so uh, jeff it's been another one of the big stories this week where you at with this chiefs backfield are mccoy and maybe thompson as well gonna turn this into a committee starting in week one
1: it's kind of against andy Reid's mo to do that but it would sure as heck seem that that's at least the direction we're trending in september this could be a situation though where you know, we see a little bit of a committee. I- I'm not convinced McCoy is going to do much of anything. Last year, after contact, out of 62 qualifiers in the NFL, he was 61st in yards after contact per attempt. Only James White was lower than him, and James White is really kind of not a running back in a traditional sense, right? Obviously, great pass catcher, not a guy who you rely on between the tackles, whereas McCoy historically was. We're on the the wrong side of 30. We're trending down. I mean, the, the writing was on the wall for this All offseason. I talked about this numerous times. When you add two free agents at running back and draft a running back, you don't like the running back you have in house. So now he goes here. He knows this system, obviously, but my, I was never really fully on board with Damian Williams either because his career high is 50 carries. He's 27 years old. He had a great stretch in the playoffs, but we've seen this. Like I, I kept saying, is he the next James Starks? Like James Starks had a great stretch in the playoffs, whatever that was, 2010, and then eh, from there on out. Thompson's is 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 super interesting. Now you mentioned that wait at uh, you know be patient with the rookie running backs. We have to be patient with Darwin Thompson. Andy Reid has talked about him over and over and over again since May. You know since basically the team drafted him. And I think ultimately we see the cream rise. He's a dynamic player who really fits. You have a skill set that isn't, it's not, he's not quite like a Brian Westbrook, but you could see some parallels to his game. I just think he's so interesting that you you can't drop him. That being said to, to the original question, if we're talking about week one, I honestly don't want to start any of them, which kind of stinks for the the Damian Williams owners out there. But I really don't know if you can rely on him with confidence because it could be a hot hand situation.
0: This might be one of the few weeks actually where I will throw Williams out there. We're going to see what happens here. I still think Williams is going to lead the backfield at least early in the season. People were surprised that in my season-long rankings... I kept Darwin Thompson above LaShawn McCoy. It was only a few spots, but the way I see that unfolding is that McCoy is going to kind of take that role early in the season, and then eventually Thompson's going to eat into it, potentially even take over Damian Williams' spot there. But I'm not that excited about McCoy. You know, just getting there, I don't think they're going to throw him out there and give him a huge workload, even though running back is probably the one position where you could get away with that. I think they've had Williams there, they've talked him up as the starter. They're going to let him go out there and see what he can do, but the leash is going to be very short on Williams, and it's very unfortunate for him that he's got this really tough matchup in week one against that Jags defense. Let's stick in the AFC. Seems like Melvin Gordon's holdout's going to last at least through week one, maybe a whole lot longer here. We'll have to see if the Zeke thing impacts him at all seeing that. I know there was a report just before we came on uh, that the Eagles were actually a team that threw out an offer. It was not much of an offer. It was Jordan Howard and a pick swap. I believe what it came down to. And I think they still wanted the chargers to take on a bunch of the contract money at this point. So the chargers weren't going to do that, but assuming he sits out against and that's what we're focused on right now. How do you expect the, the touches to be deployed in that chargers backfield, which right now without any sort of deals where Jordan Howard would show up, it would be Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson playing.
1: Uh, I know a lot of the narrative out there is that this is a 60-40 split. Everything that I've observed would suggest that is not the case. Maybe 60-40 in terms of carries, but when it comes to passing downs, Austin is almost exclusively going to be out there in passing downs, not Jackson. So the in terms of projections for the for the first week, I actually have it 18 touches for Eckler, eight for Jackson which is a 70-30 split, not a 60-40 split. What what I'm basing this on first and foremost was last year in week 13 and 14 when we had no Melvin Gordon on the field. That was exactly, almost identically, how the touches broke down for those two guys. And then in the preseason, we heard, oh, it's, you know, it's a fairly even split between the two. And then what we saw is Austin Eckler working exclusively with the first team, Jackson getting out there after Eckler, working with the first team, but then also working with the second team. I mean, teams can, can teams can lie to us at a podium. Teams can lie to us in a locker room interview. They can lie to us on, on video, etc. They can't lie to us in a few areas. They can't lie to us with their draft picks, like the Bills. They can't lie to us with their roster moves, bringing in guys, and they can't lie to us with their usage and the usage would suggest that Eckler is well ahead of Jackson. I don't think you can even use Jackson as a flex option this week. Uh, That being said, I'm not dropping him at all, because if Eckler goes down, all of a sudden Jackson's like a top 15 guy as an every down back in in that offense. But I'm holding on him, and I think you have a nice RB2 play on your hands with Eckler.
0: I think a lot of the excitement over Jackson was just that the price was so cheap, mm-hmm. right? When you're looking at getting Eckler, it was going to cost you a sixth-round pick, maybe even a fifth in some drafts, whereas Jackson was going you know, in the double-digit rounds. And I get that excitement, but I'm right there with you. In a lot of leagues, if I didn't grab running backs early this year, I was picking up Eckler and Tony Pollard, getting Eckler around, like I said, the sixth round or so, Pollard definitely later— And then just seeing if one of those situations was going to work out and help me out at least early in the season. Well, one for two isn't bad. At least that's what it looks like it's going to be right now to start the year. Talking about some of the other backs, and if you are avoiding running back early in the draft, you got to go heavy on backups and see what they can turn into for you. Are you boarding the hype train for any of these other backup RBs who could potentially be weekly fantasy starters, even though they're sort of the, you know, the 1A, 1B or the direct backup to another starter? But perhaps they're in offenses, you know, that are so run heavy or so prolific that they're gonna be able to put up numbers. I'm talking about guys like uh, Matt Breda and Latavius Murray, Royce Freeman, Rashad Penny or even my guy, Justice Hill, that I've talked about a bunch recently on the podcast. Any of those guys that you're excited about?
1: Um, I don't know if I'm excited, per se. I think there's exciting players in that group. is an exciting player, but the thing about Breda is he's a smaller back who anytime they've ever given him more than you know just a, a, a change of pace workload, he's broken down, right? So that's the, the, the challenge there. I still would much rather have Tevin Coleman in that backfield, Breda, certainly one of those sexy fantasy picks. You put his sticker on the board, you get the oohs and ahs, the nice pick bro. But how much substance is there? That's the question. I mean, he's so fun to watch. I love him as a football player, just not super excited for fantasy. I think Murray's super interesting, though. I mean, this is a guy who certainly could carry the load if something happened to Kamara And even then, he's still going to have independent value. I mean, Breda has that independent value as well, but Murray will have that weekly independent value. He's not Mark Ingram, but is he 90% of Mark Ingram? Maybe, you know, something like that in that offense. So there's some meat on the bone. Freeman's going to be an interesting case. With that backfield, what we saw in the preseason is they are going to use a three-headed monster, and like it or not, Devontae uh, Devontae Booker is a part of that three-headed monster now with Theo Riddick on injured reserve. So that's just the challenging thing. So I think there were aspects of Freeman's game last year that were underappreciated. He was good at creating after contact. The problem he had is he faced a lot of stacked boxes as the early down runner. So, you know, Lindsey... Lindsey didn't have that disadvantage on, on as many of his carries. He was facing a lot of sub-package defense, so he was able to you know take advantage of that. It's a tricky situation. Penny's a tricky situation because I would have loved to have had Penny break out. I'm such a Penny truther, but everything we saw in the preseason suggests this is Chris Carson's backfield. Now, again, Chris Carson goes down. This is the run-heaviest offense in the NFL or right there with Baltimore, Uh, All of a sudden, Penny is super interesting. So you have Juice with him as that sort of premium handcuff. Uh, Justice Hill, I don't know. I mean, if Mark Ingram goes down, Gus Edwards is the, the handcuff there. So Justice Hill, I think you may be relegated to that third down. Um, you know, role, he's a superstar athlete, you know, freak, spark, score guy, but I don't know how that's gonna translate to the NFL, and my fear for him is he, he's just that, and I don't, I as much as I love players from a football standpoint like the Chris Thompsons of the world, we've seen it with Chris Thompson or guys like that in the past. They can go out and they could be the number three running back for the week, or they could be the number 83. Any week, any week when guys are too reliant on passing productivity, it does not give him a high weekly floor. So it's a little, it's super volatile for fantasy.
0: One thing I like about Hill is late last season when Gus Edwards was doing his thing there, Kenneth Dixon was also having some pretty good games, some usable fantasy weeks, scoring touchdowns, catching passes, just because of the volume there in, in that uh, rushing attack. So I do like Hill quite a bit, but I, we'll talk about him a little more later uh, near the end of the podcast. The other thing that I like that you mentioned there is. Looking at a guy like Gus Edwards, when you talk about all of the guys that we talked about here, each situation is a pretty good rushing attack, whether it's because of volume or we think it's going to be successful. It's smart to look a little deeper down that depth chart. In dynasty leagues, you might want to go pick up guys like Raheem Mostert. If one of those backs goes down in San Francisco, guess what? He's going to have a whole bunch of value and he's going to be in there pretty often. Uh, Latavius Murray. Who's going to be behind him? Dwayne Washington. You know you're going to want to look at maybe not so much in Denver because I definitely want nothing to do with Devontae Booker. Uh, But when you look at Seattle, you know can a CJ Procyse step up? They kept him on the roster for a reason. Can he stay healthy for any amount of time there? Uh, Or like you mentioned with with Gus Edwards there? So I think that's smart to do. Maybe not picking them up in redraft leagues, but putting them on your watch list because. Like we mentioned off the top, a third-string running back can very easily become fantasy relevant with an injury or two to a backfield. Another one is Duke Johnson in Houston, and the Texans have obviously been busy. It seems like they're kind of unlikely to trade for another back, I would assume, after getting Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde as well. Personally, I don't think Hyde has much left to offer here, but Duke is also far from a proven asset at this point. Do you have faith that Duke can emerge as the starting back and really, I guess more importantly, as a valuable fantasy piece?
1: Not necessarily faith. I mean, you you like the offense, the overall state of the offense. And the one thing that I I mean, I I joked over the offseason that the Texans had like 30 tight ends on the roster. Well, now most of those are on injured reserve. So. They're not going to be spreading the ball around as much to tight end as maybe we initially expected. So some of those short and intermediate targets open up, which is obviously, you know, where where Duke has made his money in the NFL. But the question is how many carries is he capable of handling? I know that he did, you know, he certainly was that workhorse in in his last year at Miami at the U. But college is a lot different than the professional level. And, and you know, at, at Cleveland, you know, multiple coaching regimes did not have confidence in him as an early down uh, guy who would, you know, even approach something like a McCaffrey or Camara uh, workload with, you know, 200 roughly carries. I don't think we're going to see that for Duke Johnson. So that would mean that he's going to have to really rack up catches like he's going to have to be way up in the 60 catch range to be you know, better than a top 20 running back. Right now, I think 20 to 30 is reasonable. I think there's, you know, the potential that he has some big games, just like I was mentioning earlier, though, there could be some volatility if we don't get those week in week out carries. And unfortunately, that could be Carlos Hyde. You know, what's interesting about Carlos Hyde is last season for as lackluster as it was for him, I mean, this is a guy who was on you know multiple teams last year. He had 11 carries inside the five, like that's up there. That that's tied for 15th in the league. That's the same amount as Ezekiel Elliott had last year. So he was used heavily in the red zone, despite that you know that weird season of going from Cleveland to Jacksonville he could be getting those carries which obviously will sap some value from duke johnson
0: i'm right there with you with duke i totally agree with you there another situation another backfield where we're not totally sure how the touches are going to be given out here is the rams and week one's going to be super telling for that backfield right because we haven't seen gurley we're finally going to learn exactly what their plan is with him and how he looks at this point right it's all been speculation throughout the offseason so how much do you project guys like Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown eating into Gurley's touches on a weekly basis here?
1: Well, Gurley last year was on a crazy pace for uh, touches per game. I mean, when when you see any running back in today's NFL over 20, that's crazy enough. There were only five of them last year. And, the, and for that stretch of the season, Gurley was approaching 25, which in today's NFL is just, it's not really sustainable. So I've been thinking, you know, typically my my basic thought is they had a guy in John Kelly who wasn't able to do what they wanted him to do and take some of that workload off of Gurley's plate. So now they draft a a better version of John Kelly in Henderson and I'm thinking we see a reduction of about 6 touches per game for Gurley. Todd Gurley at 18 touches per game with his efficiency in that offense, I I still think is just fine. And I think that people were running in fear from you know you know from the way that everything ended last year, but it was a bit of that recency bias. Like if you got bit by Todd Gurley and you had to see CJ Anderson rumbling for 167 yards and a score in Week 16 last year, you're gonna stay away from him. That's that that not never again mentality. Not drafting him again, right? Uh, meanwhile, we select our narratives. You know, we mentioned Devonte Freeman earlier. Devonte Freeman played two games last year and he's 27 years old. So we select our narratives when they fit. And then we go away from those narratives when they don't fit. I think Todd Gurley is going to be just fine, but I do think, yeah, it's about six fewer touches per game.
0: Is it time to pour some out for John Kelly? I have him on a dynasty <laughs> team and every time I look to go drop him, I'm like, I just can't do it yet.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm in the same boat with CJ Proseis and Kenneth Dixon, even though Kenneth Dixon is <laughs> not even on a roster right now. I'm like, oh, man, I can't quit you, Kenny Dixon.
0: I finally dropped ProSice in the offseason oh. after he just kept having so many injuries, and then he pops back up at the yep. end of the preseason, and it's like, oh, my God, did I make a mistake? <laughs> I got to rush back out and get him. Uh, one other backfield that I want to talk about here, and we can really talk about this offense as a whole. I know we've kind of focused on running backs, but this whole offense is kind of interesting it's the Cardinals and they've admitted that they were hiding their cards in the preseason. Absolutely no pun intended there, but throughout the preseason, they weren't showing what this offense is going to be. It wasn't a lot of, you know, four or five wide receiver sets, which I think is what's going to happen once the regular season starts for them in that Cliff Kingsbury offense. We had backup running back Chase Edmonds came out, had a really interesting quote where he was almost downright giddy about the unveil that's going to happen in week one when they play the Lions at home. So, Uh, Jeff, are you excited about the Cardinals offense and sticking with our unintentional theme today uh, about David Johnson, too?
1: Well, I think I'm even keel about them. I mean, I I definitely want to see what happens. I think Kyler is just such an interesting player. I mean, I stood next to him uh, and I tower above him and I'm not really a tall dude. I'm six foot two. I'm moderately tall, I guess, but I towered over him. And you really see that on the field, but it's 2019. So you don't need to be a six foot five uh, laser rocket arm quarterback in this era of football. He is an electric athlete and that could certainly help open things up for David Johnson. I'm just I just hope David Johnson gets a little bit more love. All the fantasy players out there who hated on him last year for finishing as the number 9 fantasy running back and number 11 on points per game a uh, points per game basis. I mean, the hate went way too far. That's not a bust. It was a disappointment, but David Johnson didn't screw your team over like, I don't know, Terrell Pryor in 2017 when he was a third-round pick in fantasy drafts. David Johnson, I, I I think you know we'll see him take a step back, but or step forward, but it it could be a little bit bumpy. I don't think that we just say okay, Cliff Kingsbury is the next genius of the NFL. Like let's not forget his time at Texas Tech was a little rocky as well. So I think it'll be bumps along the way. There's going to be explosive weeks, but there could also be some down weeks as well. And that offensive line, let's not forget, is still
0: not very good. Well, like you talked about with, with David Johnson and sort of that public perception, that's such a huge part of fantasy too, right? Just how everyone believes things are going, how everyone's perceiving things. I do an article in the offseason. I do a series where I look at each position and the guys who could exceed expectations just based on where the public views them going. Some of them are guys who we expect to be good, but that the public just isn't on at all for whatever reason. And that's what leads us to our final question here. This is something that we did last year when we were previewing each week. Which player or players, if you want to give multiple, do you think fantasy owners are overlooking heading into week one?
1: Well, I I think the, the obvious answer to the question, I can give you a couple more, but the obvious answer to the question for me is Kirk Cousins. And I think this is where perception doesn't necessarily meet reality. There, I don't know what people were expecting last year, if they were expecting 40-plus 40 40 plus passing touchdowns is ridiculously hard. Let's just put that out there right from the gate. <laughs> but Kirk Cousins had his fourth straight 4,000-yard passing season. He had his first 30-plus touchdown passing season. He has... Uh, two wide receivers who consensus are ranked essentially top fifteen, and really maybe even top fourteen. Uh, you know, uh, two guys up there. Why does our narr- or why does our story not match up, right? If you have two wide receivers who are that high, if you have a running back who is widely regarded as top eleven, top ten, why is the quarterback twenty? Why is the quarterback twenty-one or whatever people are ranking him? I think the people are going to be surprised by this. The overall offense and and certainly by cousins he was so he was free in fantasy drafts this year and sure it's not sexy but honestly, quarterback in a one-quarterback league, you don't need sexy to win your leagues. You need a guy who's not going to lose you weeks, not necessarily win you weeks at that position. And then I think the two wide receivers who stand out to me who are being widely overlooked are Allen Robinson and Alshon Jeffrey. Allen Robinson's the number one wideout who last year was coming off a torn ACL. Okay, it was a disappointment, but it was a new system and a young quarterback who showed progress last year. He's still the number one wideout. I like him this year and you were getting him as a wide receiver 3 he certainly has wide receiver 2 potential and Alshon Jeffrey I mean even last year with a slightly down season he was still top 25 in PPR despite missing time as well and I, I what gets me about some of these players Sean is uh, like Alshon oh well he drops you know all these passes okay well in your you know minus five points per drop league yeah sure Alshon stinks even though he only had five drops last year by the way why do we care about drops people used to do this with Mike Evans oh he drops all these passes I don't freaking care he has five straight thousand yard seasons Mike <laughs> Evans is you know I mean he had eight, eight receiving touchdowns last year he quietly went over 1500 receiving yards I, I don't get the narratives that people construct, but that one with Alshon always cracks me up. Alshon, you were getting for free this year as well, and he may not out-target Zach Ertz. Maybe he does. Maybe he's right neck and neck with him, but he's a number one wide out on a, a very potent Eagles offense, and people are
0: down on him. One of the reasons that I love this question, not just because I think it's very useful for fantasy owners, but it seems like guests always get very passionate about this one. I don't know (laughs) if it's the question itself or the fact that it's at the end of the podcast. Maybe everybody's, you know, ready to go and just wants to fire it off at the end. But I love it. And I agree with you on those. A couple for me. I kind of mentioned it before. I haven't looked at the consensus rankings for week one yet, but my guess is that people are going to be too low on Mark Ingram. And that's just because looking at where everyone had him ranked in their season long rankings, he's in a smash spot in week one going against the Dolphins. They're seven point favorites and same can be said, but to a lesser degree about Justice Hill, who we talked about earlier. I like him as a potential flex play this week. You know, Someone who's only owned in 31% of Yahoo leagues, I can't believe that. He's somebody that I think should be owned more. Might be the one spot that Jeff and I disagree in this podcast. Uh, Dante Pettis is someone else for me that I think is going to get overlooked because of all the negative press that he got over the last few weeks. Just so much grief. But the depth chart comes out. He's still the number one receiver there. Gets a really nice matchup with the Bucks this week. Projected to be a high-scoring game. I'd fire Pettis up as a wide receiver three. And don't sleep on John Brown either. That Jets D is banged up. Uh, Josh Allen and Brown are going to test them deep. And I think that's going to work out in their favor some weeks this season. I think this is going to be one of them. The last guy I'll mention is Delaney Walker. And he went so late in, in drafts. In almost every draft that I was in, he was going as a tight end too. And I know he broke the ankle last year, and it was a gruesome injury, and he missed the season. But before that, he had four straight seasons, over 800 yards, and I know he's getting up there. But Cleveland hasn't been great at defending tight ends in the past. We'll see what happens this year. And the Titans might need to play catch up in this one, right? They're five and a half point dogs on the road. So he's someone that I would definitely be willing to throw in my lineup if you're Uh, You know, uh, a Trey Burton owner and he doesn't play. Uh, Jimmy Graham, we're a little worried about. Jordan Reed as well. And for that matter, if you are very desperate and you're in a deep league and Jordan Reed doesn't play, remember Vernon Davis because he tends to pop up when Jordan Reed goes away and give you some maybe low end tight end one numbers there. That is all for today's show. Make sure you're reading Jeff's content at Pro Football Focus and following him on Twitter at Jeff Radcliffe. Jeff, always appreciate you coming on, man. Look forward to having you on again down the road
1: absolutely pleasure was all mine
0: remember we are into the season now so my weekly content has begun you can find all of it on the score app and by following me on twitter at justin boone you should also be subscribing to the alerts from the nfl fantasy news section on the score app that helps you get my articles and rankings and everything sent right to your mobile device as soon as they are published you should also be subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on big thanks to jeff for joining us today Big thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next time.
1: Said leave on time. My baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight. Said leave on time.